red arms. Give it your all. We'll, we'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girl so they'll not cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack on the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin. And today we're jumping into Chapter 16, Leave Takings, for like the fourth time. <laughs> this, this is the name of a chapter a lot of times. But uh, this is going to be a chapter from two perspectives, Perrin and Elaine's. Um, so we'll kind of knock them out one by one. It's not a crazy long chapter, um, and there's like kind of a lot of... Yeah, again, descriptions and stuff, because that's what Robert Jordan does. But we're going to cover um, the majority of the good stuff, and then we'll kind of skip over all the extra little bits that are not really relevant to the plot directly, but they just give you an imagination jump, unless it's, like, important. So, um, Perrin wakes up, and he's realizing that the sun's about to pop over the horizon. It's pretty much morning time. And his arm's very stiff from the bruising and stuff like that. And, you know, it's, he can move the arm a bit more, but it's not comfortable. But he had a little bit of sleep, but not very much. Um, and when he was awake before the sleep, he saw Fayil's face, you know, with her dark eyes, accusing him that, you know, the hurt he had put in her eyes and it, it made him hurt. And when he dreamed, he was mounting a gallows and Fayil's watching or trying to stop it. And she was trying to attack the White Cloaks and with their lances and swords. And he was screaming as they fitted the noose around his neck. And, you know, because the White Cloaks were trying to kill Fayil. And sometimes she just watched him hang with a smile of angry satisfaction. And well, those dreams woke him up quite rudely. But then he had one dream of wolves running out of the forest to save both Fayil and him, just to be spitted on white cloak lances and shot down by arrows. And he had not slept very well. It's just been filled with nightmares. But he gets up, and the attack from the other night was very little evidenced, because the Mahir had an army of liveried servants that were uh, mostly injured and, you know, limping and whatnot. But they were sweeping, mopping, clearing everything away, you know, making it presentable. But she limped around on a leaning stick, and she's described as a broad woman with gray hair pushed up like a round cap by the dressing wound around her head, calling her orders in a firm voice with the clear intention of removing every sign of the stone's second violation. <laughs> um, so she's got a firm voice, which you'd have to be to be the Malheur. Um... And, uh, yeah, she's basically gives him a curtsy that the High Lords get. I mean, the High Lords get slightly more, but not very much. Like, he's he's top tier around here. But um, for Perrin, all the cleaning and scrubbing under the smell of waxes and polishes and clean fluids... He could still smell the faint scent of blood, the sharply metallic human blood, the fetid trollic blood, the acrid mergeal blood with the stink that burned his nostrils. And he'd be glad to get away from this place. He heads over to Loyal's room, 
And the door alone is a span across and more than two spans high with an over-large door handle in the shape of entwined vines, level with Perrin's head. It's a big door. It's a big room. Um, and the stone itself has several different Ogier guest rooms because the Stone of Year, the Stone of Tear, uh, predated even the great Ogier stoneworks. But it was a point of prestige to have stonemasons uh, stone that are Ogier, um, at least occasionally, show up. So they wanted to keep them nice and comfortable, have them as wonderful guests, that kind of thing. Well, he, Perrin knocks on the door and he hears, Come in, from Loyal. It's like a slow avalanche. And he lifts the handle and goes in. And the room was on scale with the door in every dimension. So it's just, it's a massive room. And Loyal, standing in the middle of the leaf-patterned carpet in the shirt sleeves, with a long pipe in his tooth, makes everything seem normal-sized. Because it's like as if Perrin was in his room. That's what o Loyal is in this Ogier room. Now we get a description of Loyal. The Ogier stood taller than a trollic in his wide-toed, thigh-high boots, if not so broad as one. His dark green coat, buttoned to the waist, then flaring to his boot tops like a kilt over baggy trousers, no longer looked odd to Perrin. But one look was enough to tell this was not an ordinary man in an ordinary room. The Ogier's nose was so broad as to seem a snout, and eyebrows, like long mustaches, dangled beside eyes the size of teacups. Tufted ears poked up through shaggy black hair that hung nearly to his shoulders. When he grinned around his pipe stem at the sight of Perrin, it split his face in half. It's a pretty descriptive one. And we've had other descriptions of Loyal in other areas, but each one kind of helps refine the other ones. And that's why I focus so heavily on descriptions, because I want to refine the images of characters in your mind so you can truly bring them to life in your imagination. Or if you feel like doing art and do it that way, you can do it that way too. But there's a lot of descriptions, obviously. And Loyal says good morning to Perrin and asks him how he slept. And he's like, well, I've been up half the night myself writing down what happened. He's got uh, a pen in his other hand and ink stains on his sausage-thick fingers. Like, he's got big hands. And as to normal Ogiers, let alone Loyal, books are everywhere. And there's Ogier-sized chairs, a huge bed, table, all that stuff. Um, but he notices that there's a heavy limp in Loyal's walk. He's like, well, if Loyal had been hurt too badly to travel... But he, Perrin thinks poorly of himself for thinking of that. You know, Loyal's a friend, but he has to go. And Perrin's like, well, you were injured, Loyal? I mean, you could get healed by Moraine. I'm sure she would. It's like, oh, I can get around with no trouble. There's a lot of more people who needed help from her, and I don't want to bother her. It's definitely not enough to hamper me in my work. And Loyal looks over at a table where there's this large cloth-bound book. Well, large for Perrin, at least. And it would fit in one of his po Loyal's pockets in his coat, just laying open with an uncorked ink bottle. It's like, I hope I wrote it all down correctly. I did not see very much last night until it was done. But then Fahil pops out of nowhere. It's like, Loyal is a hero. And she's holding some flower, or with a, she's holding some books. 
in her hand, and she's on the other side of a bunch of flowers. And Perrin jumps because the flowers had masked her scent completely. And Loyal's like, no, 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 shh. And he's, his ears are twitching in embarrassment. He waves his big hands at her, but she just keeps going on. Her voice is cool, but her eyes are hot on Perrin's face. He's like, he gathered as many children as he could, and some of their mothers, into a large room and held the door alone against Trollocs and Murdral through the entire fight. Which is impressive if you think about it, because Murdral are very, very deadly. But then again, so is an Ogier with a long-handled axe. <laughs> Not saying he had a long-handled axe, but he, he used whatever he used. They don't really state what he uses. But Ogier are terrifying opponents if you rouse them. But she points out that the flowers are from some of the women of the stone, tokens to honor his steadfast courage, his faithfulness. And she makes steadfast and faithfulness crack like whips. So it's, it's more written like, these flowers are from women of the stone, tokens to honor his steadfast courage and his faithfulness. <laughs> it's like really biting. And Perrin doesn't flinch, but almost does. And he's like, he knows he did what was right, he, but he doesn't expect her to understand or see it. She might even know why, but she still wouldn't see it. And he's like, it was the right thing. He thought about it, and it was the right thing. But he wished he felt better about the entire thing. And he's like, it's not, it's not good that I feel, or I know I'm in the right, but I still feel I'm in the wrong. And Loyal's ears twitched wildly. He's like, oh, nothing, nothing. It's just the children couldn't defend themselves. That's all. Not a hero. Definitely not. Fael puts uh, her finger in the book to mark it. And he's like, nonsense. And she walks up to Loyal, but she doesn't even come up to his chest. Like, he's huge. It's like, there's not a woman in this stone who would not marry you if you were human. And some would anyway. Loyal, well named for your true nature, is loyalty. Any woman could love that. And it's like... the uh, Loyal's ears just go stiff with shock and Perrin grins, but she obviously had been feeding Loyal honey and butter all morning and hoped that the ogre would agree to take her along no matter what Perrin wanted. But in trying to prick him, she just fed Loyal a stone without knowing it. And so Perrin goes, Hey, Loyal, you heard from your mother lately? And Loyal managed to sound relieved and worried. And he's like, No, but I saw Layfair. Or Layfar in the city yesterday, and he was as surprised to see me as I was to him. We are not a common sight in Tyr. He came from studying Shanghai to negotiate repairs on some Ogier stonework in one of the palaces. I have doubt, or I have no doubt that the first words of his mouth will, when he returns to the setting will be, Loyal is in Tyr. Perrin's like, oh, that is worrying. And Loyal's like, yeah. Layfair says the elders have named me a runaway, and my mother has promised to have me married and settled. She even has someone chosen. Layfer did not know who. At least, he said he did not. He thinks such things are funny. She could be here in a month's time. Fael's face was just confusion, and Perrin almost grinned. She thought she knew much more than he did about the world. Well, you know, in truth, she really did, but he did. she didn't know Loyal. Studying Shangtai was Loyal's home in the spine of the world, and since he was barely past 90, he was not old enough to have left on his own. Ogier lived a very long time. By their standards, Loyal was no older than Perrin. Maybe younger. But Loyal had gone anyway, to see the world. And his greatest fear was that his mother would find him and drag him back to the setting to marry and never leave again. 
And while Fahil was trying to figure out what was going on, Perrin stepped in and was like, I need to go back to the Two Rivers, Loyal. Your mother won't find you there. And he's like, yeah, that's true. But my book, Ren's story, and yours, and Matt's. I have so many notes, but I will be the one to write the true story of the Dragon Reborn, Perrin. The only book by someone who traveled with him, who actually saw it unfold. The Dragon Reborn by Robert Jordan. I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> by loyal son of Arryn, son of Holland, of setting Shanghai. Sorry. I, he doesn't realize that it's already been written and he's in the book afterwards. <laughs> A little meta humor. Sorry. But then he bends over the book and he's like, that's not quite right. It was more like this. And Perrin puts a hand on the page where Laren Loyal's going to write. He's like, well, you're not going to write a book if your mother finds you. Not about Rand, at least. And I need you, Loyal. And he's like, Perrin, what do you mean you need me? I don't get it. And he's like, there's two, or in the two rivers, there's white cloaks hunting me. He's like, well, why would they hunt you? And they both looked as confused, you know, Loyal being confused now, Fahil confused when he first mentioned it. But Fahil was has a complacent smugness. That was worrisome, but Perrin just kept going. He's like, it doesn't matter why. The fact is they are, and they may hurt people. My family, looking for me. But knowing White Cloaks, they will, and I can stop it if I can get there quickly, but I must get be quick. The Light only knows they've done already, and I need you to take me there. By the way, is loyal. He told me once there was a way gate here, and I know there was one at Manetherin. It must still be there in the mountains, above Emmons Field. Nothing can destroy a waygate, is what you said. Now, to be fair, nothing can destroy a waygate is what everyone knows it as. There might potentially be something that could, but as far as everyone is aware, nothing can destroy them. That doesn't mean there can't other things can't happen to them, but they can't necessarily be destroyed, is the lore so far. He's like, I need you, Loyal. And Loyal's like, well, of course I'm going to help. He's like, whew, the ways. I want to write of adventures, not have them. I guess one more won't hurt. The light said it so. And Fael's like, ahem, are you forgetting something, Loyal? You promised to take me into the ways whenever I asked before you took anyone else. And now I, I, I do find this funny because this is definitely wordplay. He's like, well, I did promise you a look at the way, gate, and what is it like inside. You can have that when Perrin and I go. You could come with us, I suppose, but the way gates are not traveled lightly. And I would not enter them myself if Perrin did not have any need. And Perrin's like, she's not coming. Just you and me, Loyal. But Fahil smiles up at Loyal as if he's teasing her. He's like, you promised more than a look, Loyal. You you, you to take me wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted, before anyone else. You swore to it. And he's like, I did, but only because you refused to believe I would show you. You said you would not believe unless I swore. And I will do as I promised, but surely you do not want to step ahead of Perrin's need. And Fahil's like, you swore by your mother and your mother's mother and your mother's mother's mother. He's like, I did, Fahil, but Perrin. He's like, you swore, Loyal. Do you mean to break your oath? And now Loyal just looks miserable on stacks of miserable. And his shoulders slumped and his ears drooped. The corners of his wide mouth turned down and the ends of his long eyebrows dragged down on his cheeks. And Perrin's like, oh, she tricked you, Loyal. She deliberately tricked you. And Fahil, to her credit, blushed with red staining her cheeks. But she still had the nerve to say, you know, only because I had to, Loyal, only because a fool man thinks he can order my life to suit him. I'd not have done it otherwise. You gotta believe that. That's funny. It's like, the guy's literally just saying, I'm leaving without you. And she's like, you can't tell me what to do. It's like, 
but he just made a statement that he's leaving without you. You're not supposed to go with him. I, I don't know how that's ordering your life. I mean, you could easily get on a horse and travel there by, f you know, a regular road or whatever. Or even travel by foot if you wanted to. Probably a horse, though. But Perrin's like, hey, does it make any difference that she tricked you? And Loyal's massive head shook sadly. And Fael's like, oh, gear, keep their word. And I don't know why that's supposed to be like, keep you know, being obvious, it's like, well, Perrin never had a word that he has to keep for this to be relevant, but whatever. And he's like, and Loyal is going to take me to the two rivers, or to the Waygate in Manethrin, at least. I have a wish to see the two rivers. Loyal stood up, and he's like, oh, oh well, that means I can help Perrin after all. Why did you drag this out, Fayil? Even Layfar would not find this funny. And there was a touch of anger in his voice, and it took a good bit to make an Ogier angrily. And she's like, well, if he asks, that was part of it, Loyal. No one but you and me, unless they ask me. And he has to ask me. And Perrin's like, nope, I'm not going to ask. I will ride to Emmons Field first. I will walk. So you might as well give up this foolishness. Tricking Loyal, trying to force yourself in where, where you aren't wanted. And I do find this funny because then she's like... She's like, and by the time you reach there, Loyal and I will have done for the White Cloaks. It'll be all be over. And you anvil-headed blacksmith just have to ask. So just ask, and you can come with us. And I think it's funny because it's like, wait, you just volunteered Loyal to take on the White Cloaks. <laughs> Perrin only asked him to take him there. He didn't ask him to do anything beyond that. Loyal only told her that he would take her someplace, not that he would do anything beyond that. And now she's like, he's going to help me do all this work. <laughs> it's like, but what? Her by herself has absolutely no shot of taking out the White Cloaks. There's just a hundred of them is too many for her. I mean, ten might even be too many. We don't know. It depends on who they are, specifically individually. But even if she attacked them, she's probably going to get peripherated. But... It's just funny because Perrin's like, you know, I'm not going to argue around this, her around my way of thinking, but he's not going to ask. So she's right. He would need weeks to reach the two rivers on the horse. And he's like, well, I could be there in two days through the ways, but I'm not going to ask, especially not after she tricked Loyal and tried to bully me. She's like, well, then I'm going to travel the ways to Manethrin alone. I'll follow you two. If I stay far enough back to be not to be part of your party, I won't be breaking Loyal's oath, and you can't stop me from following. And I was like, ooh, he's playing her game against her. And Loyal's, you know, deep voice was a little trembling. It's like, the ways are dark. If you miss a turning or take the wrong bridge by accident, you could be lost for forever. Or until Machin Shin catches you. Just ask her. She said you can come if you do. And his voice trembling, especially during Machin Shin. And a shiver runs down Perrin's back, because he's experienced Machin Shin the Black Wind. But not even Aes Sedai know whether it was Shadow Spawn or something that had grown out of the Way's corruption. My bet is out of the Way's corruption. But Machin Shin was why traveling the Ways meant risking death. And that was what Aes Sedai said. But then again, Aes Sedai had limited knowledge, so... Eh, who knows? But the Black Wind ate souls. That's what Perrin knew for truth, mostly because he's experienced the uh, 
the Machinshin experience itself. <laughs> but he keeps his voice steady and face straight. He's like, I'll be burned if I let her think I am weakening. He's like, I can't, Loyal. And anyway, I won't. And Loyal's like, Fail, it'd be dangerous for him to try to follow us. Please relent and let him. And he's like, No, if he's too stiff necked to ask, why should I? Why should I even care if he gets lost? He's like, Well, the entire point of you coming along was because you claimed you cared about him. So you can travel close to us and as close as you need to, as long as it's plain you are following. You'll trail after me like a puppy until you ask. Why won't you just ask? And Loyal's just like stubborn humans, hasty and stubborn, even when haste lands you in a hornet's nest. Baron's like, I would like to leave the day, Loyal. And Loyal's like, yeah, 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 best to, best to go quickly. I can tidy my notes on the journey, I suppose. The light knows what I'll miss being away from Rand. And Fael's like, did you hear me, Para? And Para just goes on, I'll get my horse and a few supplies, Loyal. We'll be on our way by mid-morning. He's like, Burn you, Paraday, borrow the answer me. And Loyal Eider is like, Parent, are you sure you would not? And Parent's like, no. She's a mule-headed, and she likes playing tricks. I won't dance so she can laugh. He ignored the sound coming from deep in Vital's throat like a cat staring at a strange dog and ready to attack. He's like, I'll let you know as soon as I'm ready. And he starts for the door, and she calls after him. When is my decision, Paraday, Bara? Mine and Loyal's. Do you hear me? You'd better be ready in two hours, or we'll leave you behind. <laughs> it's like, yeah, basically... Same thing. You can meet us at the Dragon Wall Gate stable if you're going to come. Do you hear? He senses her moving and shut the door behind him just as something thumped into it heavily. A book, he thought. Loyal would give her fits about that. Better to hit Loyal on the head than harm one of his books. Which is to be fair. I mean, that's anybody who likes books would be the same way. Obviously, she doesn't really care for books that much. <laughs> But he leans against the door, and he's despairing. It's like, everything he's done, all of this to make her hate him, and she's going to go see him die anyway. The best thing he could do is say, you know, she might enjoy it. Stubborn, mule-headed woman. Keep that tucked away for later on this this chapter alone. But then he turns to go, but then he sees an Aiel approach. A tall man with reddish hair and green eyes who could have been Rand's older cousin or a young uncle. He knew the man and liked him. Everyone does. If only because Gaul had never given a flicker of notice to his yellow eyes. And Gaul greets him. May you find shade this morning, Perrin. The Maier told me you'd come this way, though I, th I think she itched to put a broom in my hands. As hard as a wise one, that woman. May you find shade this morning, Gaul. Women are all hard-headed, if you ask me. Eh, perhaps so, if you'd do not know how to get around them. I hear you are journeying to the two rivers. And Perrin growls before he gets anything. He's like, does the whole stone know? He's like, oh, if it were more rain, knew. Gaul shakes his head and he's like, no, Randall Thor took me aside and spoke to me, asking me to tell no one. I think he spoke to others too, but I do not know how many will want to go with you. We have been on this side of the Dragon Wall for a long time, and many ache for the Threefold Land. Now, this is one of those strange things where the Aiel Waste is the wasteland. It's low on a lot of resources like water. Um, food's kind of scarce. They have they have means, but it's, it's very difficult. Like cattle, um, goats, that kind of thing. I would assume possibly like chickens or pheasants or whatever other type of bird-like things. And they have to feed 13 clans. And these are not small clans. These are like... All the clans together is probably close to like anywhere between 500,000 to a million. Like it's, there's a lot of them. There are a lot of them. And out of that is, uh, I'd say probably 
30, maybe 40% of that is like a military force. So like, there's a lot of them. There's a lot. But you'd have to have insane resources and they don't go into detail necessarily how they do it because they're kind of, they're nomadic to some extent, but they have like holds that they actually come back to. But it's funny that he says they ache for the threefold land. Like they ache for the harshness, but they also have this idea kind of conditioned into them where being in the threefold land, one is their punishment two, it's something that keeps them hard and on edge, which is true. But it's funny that you go to like a land, go from a land that has like nothing to a land that has everything, and you're like, I want to go back to the land that has nothing. So many ache for the threefold land is just an interesting term. And parents like, well, come with me. And he's like, well, if I have an ideal, there are possibilities you hadn't even considered. He's like, Rand asked you to come with me to the two rivers. Gaul shook his head and he's like, he only said that you were going and that there were men who might try to kill you. And I mean to accompany you if you will have me. And Perrin almost laughs, like, will I? I will at that. We'll be going to the ways in a few hours. And Gaul's expression doesn't even change, but he blinks and he's like, the ways? He's like, does that make a difference? And he's like, death comes for all men, Perrin. That is not really a comforting answer for Perrin, but that's pretty typical for Aiel. <laughs> Now we're going to switch over to Elaine's perspective. And Egwene it's like, I cannot believe Rand is that cruel. And Nynaeve's like, yeah, at least he didn't try to stop you. And it's, it's funny because the, what they're, they're talking about is from like a perspective that isn't actually the perspective taken. And they're, you know, sitting on this bed of Nynaeve's and dividing up gold Moraine had provided. Four fat purses apiece to be carried in pockets sewn under Elaine and Nynaeve's skirts. And another each, not so large, to attract unwanted attention to carry at the belt. But Egwene had taken a lesser amount, because gold's not much use in the waste, for all she knows. But Elaine frowns at the two neatly tied bundles in the script. They had all her clothes and all of her things, and it's going to go over a lot of stuff that is completely irrelevant to this. But she's ready to go! There's nothing to hold her back. Elaine's like, no, he didn't. And she was proud of how calm and collected she sounded because he almost sounded relieved. Relieved! And I had to give him that letter, laying my heart open like a stone-blind fool. At least he won't open it until I am gone. But she jumps when Nynaeve's hand touches her shoulder. And Nynaeve's like, did you want him to ask you to stay? You know what your answer would have been. You do, don't you? Elaine's like, well, of course I do, but he doesn't have to look happy about it. And she had not meant to say that, but... Nynaeve gives her understanding, like, it's like, men are difficult at the best. So, remember that whole thing with Parrot about women being stubborn and mule-headed? Men are difficult at the best. This, this series is fantastic when it comes to egalitarianism. It's great. But... It's like, I can't believe he would be so, so, and Egwene's, like, angry. And I'm like, he's not even, like, with you, Egwene. Like, why are you angry? Probably because of all her plans of getting Elaine with him is seemingly falling apart. But Elaine's not sure what she meant to say because the door crashed open. And Elaine embraced Sidar before she even stopped flinching. And there was a moment of embarrassment when the rebounded door slapped hard against Lan's outstretched hand. A moment more, she would have decided to hold on the source a while longer. 
The warrior filled the doorway with his broad shoulders, his face a thunderhead. If his blue eyes could really have given off the thunderbolts they threatened, they would have blasted Nynaeve. But Egwene is surrounded by the glow of Sidar too, and doesn't fade. Land doesn't appear to know anyone's in the room but Nynaeve. It's like, you let me believe you were returning to Tarvalon. He rasped at her. It's like, you may have believed it, calmly, but I never said it. Never said it. Never said it. You spoke of leaving today and always linked your leaving with those dark friends being sent to Tarvalon. Always. What do you mean me to think? It's like, but I never said it. Light, woman. And he roars. Do not bandy words with me. I'm like, he's got, he literally has spent the last 20, probably one or 22 years by now with Moraine bandying words with everyone under the sun. He, he can understand and comprehend that there are bandied words. But the Roaring and Land do not go together, typically, like ever. So Elaine and Egwene exchange worried looks, and this man had an iron self-control, but he was at a breaking point now. For all you romantics, this is the perfect part of the chapter for you. Nynaeve was one who often let her emotions rage, yet she faced him coolly, head high, eyes serene, hands still on her green silk skirts. Land took hold of himself with an obvious effort, but he appeared as stone-faced as ever, as much in control of himself. And it was all on the surface that Elaine was sure of. I'd not have known where you were off to if I had not heard that you had ordered a carriage to take you to a ship bound for Tanchico. I do not know why the Amarlin allowed you to leave the tower in the first place, or why Moraine involved you in questioning Black Sisters, but you three are accepted. Accepted, not Aes Sedai. Tanchico now is no place for anyone except a full Aes Sedai with a warder to watch her back. I'll not let you go into that. And many of us like, so, you question Moraine's decisions and those of the Amarlin seat as well. Perhaps I've misunderstood warders all along. I thought you swore to accept and obey, among other things, Lan. I do understand your concern, and I am grateful, more than grateful, but we all have tasks to perform, and we are going. You must resign yourself to that fact. Why? For the love of the light! At least tell me why! Tanchico! If Moraine has not told you, Nynaeve said gently, perhaps she has her reasons. We must do our tasks as you must do yours. Land trembled, actually trembled, and clamped his jaw shut angrily. When he spoke, he was strangely hesitant. You will need someone to help you in Tanchico. Someone to keep a Terabonner street thief from slipping a knife into your back for your purse. Tanchico was that sort of city before the war began, and everything I've heard says it's worse now. Now, before I continue this, I'd like to point out, Tanchico being a rough place, street thieves, you know, footpaths, that kind of thing, not abnormal for cities, but if that's how it was before, and it's even worse now, it gives you an idea of Tanchico, which I believe is in Terabon. Or no. Yes. Yes, that is in Terabon. Um, and uh, Terabon's kind of like... I think it's closer to, like, India. Arad Daman's closer, I think, to like Saudi Arabia, but it's it's very much like big mustaches, 
little conical red hats that you'd see like an Aladdin type of thing mixture, but they're very dark skinned at the same time. It's it's a very weird locations because Aradamon and Terabon are similar but different. Like they're distinctly different, but they're also kind of similar in that area. Um but yeah, so it's actually it might be more closer to Saudi Arabia and Aradamon. Might be closer to India. Um it's despite the descriptions and how they flow together that way, it's it's an interesting location and Land's apparently familiar with it. So he's been there, I guess, or has at least had people who had been there fill him in on the details for some reason or other. But he's like, I could I could protect you, Nynaeve. And Elaine's eyebrows shoot up, and he's like, could not be suggesting. He just couldn't be. Nynaeve gave no sign that he had said anything out of the ordinary. And she's like, your place is with Moraine. Moraine. Sweat beads on his face. It's hard face. And he struggled with words. He's like, I can. I must. Nynaeve, I. I. And she's like, you will remain with Moraine. That's sharply. Until she releases you from your bond. You will do as I say. She pulls a carefully folded paper from her pouch and thrusts it into his hands, and he frowns, red, then blinked and read again, and Elaine knew what it said. What the bearer does is done at my order and by my authority. Obey and keep silent at my command. Swan Sanche, Watcher of the shield, Seals, Flame of Tarvalon, the Omerlin Sea. The Shields. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a big chain store. The other like it rested in Egwene's pouch, but none of them were sure what good it would do where she was going. It wouldn't. Maybe. Immediately. <laughs> Who knows? But Lan's like, but this will allow you to do anything you please. You can speak in the Omerlin's name. Why would she give this to an accepted? It's like, well, you've been gone for a bit, Lan. <laughs> and he was like, ask no questions. I cannot answer. And she has a bit of a grin. She's like, just count yourself lucky. I did not tell you to dance for me. Elaine suppressed a smile because Egwene make, and also Egwene makes a choking sound of swallowed laughter because it's what Nynaeve had said when the Omerlin first handed in the letters. With this, I could make a water dance. And both Egwene and Elaine had no doubt about who the warder was that she meant. Do you not? You dispose of me very neatly, my bond and my oaths. This letter, and he had a dangerous gleam in his eye, which Nynaeve seemed not to notice as she took back the letter and placed it in the pouch in her belt. And she's like, you are very full of yourself, Al Edmund Dragoran. We do as we must, as you will. Full of myself, Nynaeve Almira. I am full of myself. Lan moves so quickly towards Nynaeve that Elaine very nearly wrapped him in flows of air before she could think. One moment Nynaeve was standing there, with just enough time to gape at the tall man sweeping toward her. The next, her shoes were dangling a foot off the floor, and she was being quite thoroughly kissed. At first she kicked his shins and hammered him with her fists and made sounds of frantic, furious protest. But her kicks slowed and stopped. And then she was holding on to his shoulders and not protesting at all. Egwene dropped her eyes with embarrassment, but Elaine watched, quite interested. Was that how she had looked with Rand? You know, no, I'm not going to think about him, not going to think about him. And she wondered if there's time to write him another letter, taking back everything she said in the first letter, letting him know she would 
not be to, was not to be trifled with. But does she really want to? I'm going to read this little part because it's really fun. And it's a rare occurrence. So might as well enjoy it. After a while, Lan set Nynaeve back on her feet. She swayed a bit as she straightened her dress and patted her hair furiously. You have no right, she began in a breathless voice, then stopped to swallow. I will not be manhandled in that fashion for the whole world to see. I will not. Not the whole world, he replied. But if they can see, they can hear as well. You have made a place in my heart where I thought there was no room for anything else. You have made flowers grow where I cultivated dust and stones. Remember this. On this journey, you insist on making. If you die, I will not survive you long. He gave Nynaeve one of his rare smiles. If it did not exactly soften his face, at least it made it less hard. And remember also, I am not always so easily commanded, even with letters from the Amarlin. He made an elegant bow. For a moment, Elaine thought he actually meant to kneel and kiss Nynaeve's great serpent ring. As you command, he murmured, so do I obey. It was difficult to tell whether he meant to be mocking or not. I like this because it explains a lot of his, I don't want to say reactions or you know, whatever. Um, it's very much unlike Lan from what we normally see, but it also explains how much of an impression Nynaeve has made on his life. Which we know from other instances, like when they were at the Seven Towers of Malkir um, in the first book, um, where they kind of had that disagreement and everything, but he was also like, I'm not okay with this, but I am okay with this, I'm not okay with this, but I am okay with this, that kind of stuff. Um, there's just some things that he himself was fighting, but then he kind of stopped fighting, and she had the same thing. She was distraught about it at first, then she kind of steeled herself, and now she's back to the place where she's out of breath. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he leaves, and Nynaeve sinks to the edge of her bed like her knees are giving way, and she just stares at the door with a pensive frown. And Elaine decides to quote, Poke the meekest dog too often, and he will bite. Not that Lan's very meek. But she gets a sharp look and sniff from Nynaeve. And Gwen's like, he is insufferable! Typical response from the women in this series. Sometimes he is. Nynaeve, why did you do that? He was ready to go with you. I know you want nothing more than to break him free of Moraine. Do not try to deny it. But Nynaeve did not try. She just fussed with her dress, smoothed the coverlet on the bed. Like, not like that, she said finally. I mean him to be mine. All of him. I will not have him remembering a broken oath to Moraine. I will not have that between us. For him as well as myself. But Gwen's like, well, how would that be any different if you bring him to ask Moraine to release him from his bond? Lan is the kind of man who would see it as much the same thing. All that leaves is somehow make her let him go of her own accord. Can you? How, how could you possibly manage that? She's like, I don't know. But that's got to be what it has to be. There's always a way. 
but that is for a different time. Work needs to be done, and we sit here fretting over men. Are you sure you have everything you need for the waste, Egwene? Egwene's like, well, Avienda's readying everything, but she seems unhappy still. But she says we can reach Ruidion in little more than a month, if we are lucky. Keep in mind, I believe that Ruidion is like north, almost parallel to Tarvalon. Close to the spine of the world. So it's a bit of the ways from Tyr. However, there are other ways around that. It's like, well, you'll be in Tanchico by then. And Elaine's like, well, maybe sooner, if they say about the Seafolk Rikers is true. But you will be careful, right, Egwene? Even with Avienda for a guy, the waste cannot be safe. I'm like, with this many Aiel coming around, it's going to be really, really safe. <laughs> it's really safe. Like, unrealistically safe. And it's like, well, I will, but you guys be careful because Tanchico isn't much safer than the waste now. It's like, well... Is it, though? <laughs> it's, I mean, if Tanchico would be super crazy safe if you had Aiel with you. Just saying. Like, literally, you would be untouchable. Like, okay, well. Then they're all hugging each other and repeating cautions to take care and everything. And then they have uh, scheduled meetings they planned for until I run Riyadh in the stone. And Elaine wipes tears from her cheeks and is like, well, as as well, Lan left, because he would think we were all being foolish. And now he was like, no, he wouldn't. He may be a man, but he's not a complete dolt. <laughs> Men are complete dolts, but he's not. But, yeah, there's a little bit of time between here and carriage to locate paper and pen. So Elaine's like, eh, she's going to find time. None of you had the right of it. Men needed a firm hand. And Rand would find he could not get away from her so easily and he would not find it easy to worm his way back into her good graces. Now, I would say tuck that away for later because it becomes very confusing later on. <laughs> as you can imagine, it would be extremely confusing as a person to receive these letters. But needless to say, that is the end of the chapter. Um, what did you guys think? Uh, we learned a little bit about Tenchiko and its current situation. We obviously learned about Lan and his emotions towards Nynaeve. And we learned about Perrin and his dealings with Loyal and how Fael is being very deceptive and trickstery to get what she wants, even though she's seeing it from a perspective that doesn't make much sense. But yeah, what do you guys think? Um, you can always hit me up with some messages or comments on either Facebook at Til or the Tales of Red Arm Facebook page. Um, on Twitter slash X at Tales of Red Arm or um, directly, which is Tales of Red Arm at gmail.com. Or you can reach out through the Discord. Um, links should be both on Facebook and on Twitter slash X. Um, if neither of them work or you can't find them or whatever the reason might be, you can always reach out to me directly through Tales of Red Arm at gmail.com and I will send you a link so you can get in. And. If you already have access to Discord and you have a way to get in, we can always chat about questions or information. Just talk about Wheel of Time. It's, it's always a fun topic to talk about. Um, and also, uh, might even have a time to sit there and voice chat about all the fun little things about Wheel of Time we like. So, I'd uh, love to see you guys there. But, yeah. Looks like we have Chapter 17 coming up. And... 
it's a little longer than this chapter. So we'll get probably a little bit more of it, probably like an hour or so, depending on all the details and bits. But yeah, uh, hopefully you guys will join me for chapter 17 on the next episode. So I uh, hope to see you guys there. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day And on the girls we'll spend our pay And when we're done then we'll away To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall When some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow young Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And some of the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hog the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows